And so his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Grace, mercy, and peace be with all of you from our Lord Jesus Christ, God our Father, by the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So Jesus's ministry at this point in John's gospel has been making waves, if you'll pardon the pun, from one end of Judea to the other. It's finally dawning on people that something very new is happening across the land. And in John chapter 9, at this pivotal middle point in the gospel, Jesus and the disciples encounter a blind man, not someone who's become blind over time, but someone who, by all accounts, and by his family's admission, was blind from the time he was born. And Jesus sends him to the scent pool, the pool of Siloam, to have his vision restored. Now, prior to this, the waves that Jesus has been making have come from all sorts of different signs and miracles, beginning with saving a wedding party from a disastrous end by changing not just some, but vast quantities of water into wine, by explaining to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, that if one wants to see the kingdom of heaven, they must be born anew of water and the spirit. He's met a Samaritan woman at a well and has brought her the good news that there is salvation even for the Samaritans from whom salvation does not come. By Jesus' own admission, salvation is from the Jews. He's healed a paralyzed man and caused him to walk again. He's fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, plus women and children. He's quieted a storm. He's walked on water with his disciples. And now, in this extended reading, John chapter 9, which we were able to share by film, something we, we couldn't have done if we were in the sanctuary that I have kind of green screened here behind me, have seen Jesus cure a man born blind and then sort of disappear from the scene. You'll notice that Jesus is at the beginning and the end, but the rest of the chapter is a dialogue between the teachers of Israel, the Pharisees, the one who really supposedly understand the word of God, and this man who's had his sight restored. And to set the stage for all of this, the disciples ask that most profound of theological questions. Why is this man blind? And not just blind, but blind from birth. See, because in the disciples' mind, and not just in theirs, but in the Pharisees, if you were listening closely to their dialogue with this man and his parents, sin, bad things that happen to us, uh, needing to wear glasses, losing our hearing, um, our beard turning white, must all be due to some sin. You did something wrong, and if we could trace back to what that wrong thing is, then either we will be protected from that wrong thing happening to us, or we have an understanding of how God's judgment works in the world. And so the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? If it was this man, what does that mean that he was born blind? Did he somehow sin in his mother's womb? Or do we believe in some kind of transmigration of souls? Did he, did he commit something wrong in the future that God foresaw and therefore he cursed him from the very beginning? That seems pretty harsh, even for the God of Israel. Or was it the parents that did something wrong, in which case God is, 
inflicting this horrible punishment, not on the parents themselves, but on their son who was innocent, hadn't done anything wrong up to that point. And what does that say about God? The disciples and the Pharisees later in this chapter are looking for God, but they're looking for the God of judgment, and they want to understand that God intimately. How does judgment work? How does God punish sin? Where does God interact with people and start pressing the smite button? And how can we protect ourselves so that he doesn't come and smite us? That is the question that's at stake here in John chapter 9. And like I said, we, we would very much like to answer that question for two reasons. One is so that we could be comforted. Well, I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't that bad. My parents were pretty good, and therefore, that's why I'm not blind. Or it could simply terrify us to get the answer that we just don't know why bad things happen to people. And it could happen to us at any time because that's the kind of capricious God that we have. We read our, from Isaiah chapter 42, a God that kind of sounds like that God of judgment. For a long time, the Lord says to Isaiah, I've, I've held my peace. I've kept still. I've restrained myself. But now I'm going to cry out like a woman in labor. I'm going to gasp. I'm going to pant. I'm going to lay waste mountains and hills. I'm going to dry up their vegetation, turn rivers into islands, and dry up their pools. I've had enough. God is the parrot upstairs with the kids in quarantine downstairs, and he's had it. He's coming down there, and the smite button's going to get pressed, and there's going to be judgment, baby. Judgment for sin. At least that's what it sounds like. So based on those Old Testament scriptures, we're starting to see that maybe the disciples and the Pharisees have a point. Maybe that is the God they should be looking for. And maybe when they come to address the situation of this man who was born blind, they're asking the right question, which is, who sinned? What's the source of this judgment inflicted on this man? Do we think the same way? as modern Christians, as, as Montrealers living here in the, the 21st century, is, is this how we see God working in the world? When we, when we see something bad that happens, is our immediate reaction to ask the question, who sinned? Why is this happening to us? Why is it that we've now been subjected to this virus, which, while it's, it's bad, and some people have said, well, it's only 1%, 2% mortality rate, Add that to the effect that it's having on our economy, it's, it's bad everywhere, globally. There's no place where you can run and hide and be protected. Our missionary couples serving uh, their interim term of service in the Cayman Islands, you know, told me just two days ago, so, well, we only have one case here, so, so we're pretty good. One case turns to three or four already, and a small island of 60,000 people, even the Cayman Islands is impacted. So who sinned? What do we do wrong? Why is God letting this happen? Is it, is it because we turned on God collectively as the human race? Look at the places where the pandemic started. China, where we've wholesale turned on God of, of all religions, not just Christianity. Where did it come to explode next? Italy, which while we like to think of it as Roman Catholic, it's about as Roman Catholic in Italy as Quebec is. Big churches, mostly empty. 
And where is it coming next? North America, Canada, where our attendance at worship has gone from a time when I was a kid at maybe 70, 80% of most people attended some form of Christian worship to next to nothing. Is that why this pandemic is happening? Is God bringing us all to judgment for having turned our back on him? Or is it the way we've treated each other? Um, I would love to say that now that the world is being drawn together by this pandemic and we're, we're all in the same boat, that suddenly Facebook has turned into the place of mm. fluffy bunnies and clouds and rainbows and everyone is extending virtual hugs to each other. You all know that's not true. Um, in some ways, it seems to have gotten worse. Um, people are looking for people to blame. And that could be the problem in and of itself. We know the commandments, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and that that means we should explain everything they do in the kindest way, and yet we seem to be getting worse and worse at that as time goes by, not better and better. More and more, we're putting the worst construction on everybody. Is that why God has visited this virus on us? Truthfully, and we know this from Jesus' own words in the Gospel of Luke, we know that all disasters are meant to return us to God. They are all signs, wonders that are performed that we might be shaken out of our complacency and our apathy. Those of us in Bible study who've been reading the book of Revelation know that all of these plagues, all of these trumpets being blown, censor bowls being poured out, seals being broken, are attempts to call us back to God. They're God snapping his fingers in front of the world and saying, pay attention and wake up. What you are doing is not right. Jesus talks about manure being thrown around a tree for a year to see if it might bear more fruit. Is COVID-19 just the latest in a series of piles of manure that are being thrown around the tree of the human race? Yes. All judgment is meant to turn our hearts. But if you listen carefully to what Jesus says at the beginning of this chapter, Christians should be asking a different question. Christians should not fall in the trap of the Pharisees of trying to figure out who sinned and what the sin was, but rather ask the question, how are the works of God going to be displayed through these events? Jesus says it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned that he's born blind. Now, he's not thereby saying that all the bad things that happen in the world aren't the result of sin. But what he's asking for from his followers, whom he has died for and redeemed by his blood, whom he has called to himself in his name, is to ask a different question. We, as the followers of Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood and saved by his cross, can now ask the question, how are the works of God going to be displayed in these things? How is Jesus going to be at work in these things through us? Is it possible that rather than looking for a God of judgment under every rock and behind every tree, we should be looking for the God of salvation? Because that's precisely who God is in his son, Jesus Christ. The disciples should have gotten this. The Pharisees maybe should have gotten it. They're familiar with the Old Testament enough. But the disciples, first of all, because they should have seen the pattern. It's a pattern I talked about at the very beginning of our talk. All the waves that Jesus is making, 
And what has been causing these waves? John chapter 2, changing water into wine and saving a wedding party. We have the healing of a man who's paralyzed. We have feeding of 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We have sign after sign that demonstrates that Jesus has not come into the world to condemn it, but to demonstrate that God's deepest desire is to save the human race and all of creation along with us. That's what Jesus came to do. That's why there's all these signs. Jesus wants us to start thinking, maybe we shouldn't be looking for the God of judgment, but the God who has come to deliver us. Two weeks ago, right before I left to go to Puerto Rico, we had a reading from John chapter 3. And if you remember what comes right after that verse that we love, John 3.16, John records that God gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him in order that the world might be saved through him. From that point on, the disciples are being trained, and we as Jesus' disciples now being trained through their scripture to look for the God of salvation, even in things like a coronavirus pandemic. Look at the rest of Isaiah 42. Yeah, all the judgment is there, but suddenly in verse 16, the Lord turns it around and says, I will lead the blind in a way that they did not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I do not forsake them. They are turned back and utterly put to shame who trust in carved idols, who say to metal images, you are our gods. The Pharisees are still looking for the God of judgment. They're trying to figure out where is that God of judgment at work? Whose sin? You were steeped and raised in sin. Jesus was steeped and raised in sin. There's the breaking of the Sabbath. All they can see is breaking of the law all over the place. And even with their ability to use their eyes, they miss a man born blind who can now see. They miss it entirely because they're so consumed with finding a God of judgment. And the warning to all of us in this is that when you look for the God of judgment, that is the God you find. And it's an idol. And the world, a great many of them, who do not know Christ, who do not know his cross, who do not know his redemption, that's the God they look for and find even when they aren't aware of it. And so they see a virus coming. They see a tsunami hitting shore. They see a hurricane form in the Atlantic, and they say, see, God doesn't care. Or see, God is judging us. We ask a different question. How in the midst of these things will the works of God be shown? How in the midst of these things will the blind receive sight? Will the deaf come to hear? Will the paralyzed come to walk? And will those in darkness come to see the light? If you're looking for the God of salvation, Isaiah promises he will lead you, he will give you sight, and he will bring you into the light. And that's what all of John 9 is about. Who can see and what are they seeing versus who is blind 
to God as he actually is in Christ Jesus. The blind man, over the course of the chapter, comes to see that God is a God of salvation and that through his blindness, he has come to know the Son of Man, the Messiah, God's own Son in Jesus, who's come to save the world. The Pharisees only become entrenched in their blindness, that they cannot see that God because they become so obsessed with the God of judgment thinking that they themselves will be somehow declared righteous because they haven't looked for God in his Messiah. Now, in situations like ours, with this pandemic that's now brought us to the point where we're doing this virtual thing, and I have to tell you, this is a bit of a challenge for me, not that I haven't done video conferences before, but it's kind of like a one-man band, although the actual band is over here because Deborah's the one playing the keyboard and the girls are the choir. I was amazed at all of the literature that went out across our synod to pastors telling us how to do these virtual churches, and they all seem to start with get your staff together or make sure that your soundboard has this or check for your camera capabilities on this. And a lot of us as pastors wrote back and said, what if we have no staff, no cameras? <laughs> And none of these capabilities. So I appreciate the people, for example, that are chatting me on the side. I will look at those after the sermon. Um, but I'm like my own show. <laughs> um, I've been talking a lot with our nurses who are in the region. Um, we actually have two that are on our staff right now for Latin America and the Caribbean in Santiago. And we've had a lot of talk about how to think from a science point of view and a health point of view about COVID-19. Certainly, we feel pretty confident at this point that it's not SARS and it's not MERS. We're not talking about something with a 20, 30, 40% fatality rate. We are talking about something that can be very high mortality rate for the elderly and for those with compromised immune systems, and certainly higher than the flu for even the rest of us who are just garden variety human beings. So the interesting thing about this virus and the reason why we are not all gathering together, even those of us who are younger and in good health, is because we can be carriers, taking that virus from one place and bringing it to somebody who does not have the health advantages that we have and may very well be much worse affected by the virus than we ourselves. As Christians, what is that telling us? that by not spreading the virus, we are demonstrating love for our neighbor. We are collectively being asked to forsake of our own freedom and our own ability to do the things that we like to do, go out and hang out at Starbucks and Second Cup and restaurants and, and gather together at pubs and gather together for comedy festivals and jazz festivals, which might even have to be suspended, not for our own sake, but for the sake of our neighbors. I think that's the work of God that's being displayed here. And while the rest of the world outside of the Christian church can only see judgment and chaos and disaster, we who know God in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice for us that he did not have to do, but did out of love for us that we might be redeemed are now being called upon to make the same sacrifice for others. And isn't that what Paul says in our Ephesians reading for today? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk 
as children of light, which is what you are in Christ, if I might add to Paul's words. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. One of our chief mission fundraisers and I have been going back and forth uh, over the last week. We just both lost a, a dear friend, a common friend who was a pastor uh, in Iowa. And, you know, I said, you know, our, our whole kind of way of approaching ministry is sort of changing. Um, we're going to be kind of doing very work that is not normal for us. But since his catchphrase that he likes to use is that missionaries are not normal anyway, I said, we're kind of in a good position to do that. And he agreed. He said, we as Christians have to go out to the world electronically and through whatever means possible to a world that is panicking and is in great fear and proclaim to them instead Christ Jesus. We all know from Star Wars that fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. That's the path to darkness. What is pleasing to the Lord is to work in the light while it is still light, to see, even in the midst of darkness, his work going on. Remember from John chapter 1, the setup for all of this. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth, undeserved kindness and truth came through Jesus Christ. For those of you who are still perhaps a little bit in anxiety, in living in a little bit of fear, and need a little bit more encouragement to remember what it is that Christ has done for us in placing us in himself. I give you the example of Horatio Spafford, who you probably don't know by name, but you will recognize the thing he's most famous for. He was a businessman in Chicago. Hi to our Chicago friends who are joining us this morning. Uh, in the 1860s and 70s, um, unfortunately, a lot of his investment property burned up in the Great Fire of Chicago. That was a blow. Second blow came the same year when his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. Third blow came when he decided to send his family ahead of him to England, where his good friend, uh, evangelist uh, Moody, was going to be preaching. And on the way over, the boat sank, killing his four remaining children. His wife alone survived. Now you think having to stay inside and self-quarantine for a little while, maybe figure out what we're going to do for work, is a huge hardship. This man lost his livelihood and his family. And while he was making his way to England to rejoin his wife. He wrote what is perhaps one of the most famous songs from the 1800s. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine, for in death as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. 
And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, us or our parents, that this disaster should befall us? Jesus answered us, It was not that you sinned or your parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.